Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. So, welcome everybody to join us in this week's lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. My name is Elea and I'm a senior consultant here. It is my pleasure to introduce today Richard Woodard from Ethiclab. Um, Richard and I have been working closely together for the last few months because Ethiclab is one of the seven winners of the Stimulus Fund, an Innovate UK project that is designed to encourage innovation and award projects with funding and support from the ODI. The challenge that um, Ethiclab has set out to tackle in this program is to find use cases to test our concepts such as federated learning, to enable organizations to collaborate and share data, to gain strategic insights, but without uploading the data sets to a central database. Today, Richard will talk about how federated learning models work and how organizations that handle sensitive data can benefit from it. Before I hand over to Richard, just a few housekeeping um, things. So Richard will speak for about 20 to 25 minutes. You will have opportunities to ask questions at the end. If you have questions during the talk, just put them into the chat and I will read them out at the end. Also, I'd like to remind you that this talk is being recorded um, so we can put it up on our YouTube channel. And I'd like to remind everybody to make sure that you turn off your camera and also your microphone. Thank you very much. Over to you, Richard. All right. Um, well, uh, thanks, Alaya. And uh, thanks to the ODI for uh, giving me this, this platform to speak to you all. Um, thanks, everyone, for coming. Uh, yeah, happy Friday. I hope we're all hanging in there. Um, so uh, I'm here today to talk about uh, the notion of, uh, of digital collaboration without uh, data sharing. Um, this is a, an idea that my colleagues and I have been working on for uh, the last sort of nine months or so. Um, and as Elias said, thanks to the ODI Stimulus Fund, we've been able to uh, road test these ideas with some uh, kind of real life collaborators. Um, I'm not going to get too much into the specifics of, of the work we've been doing uh, with with the uh, the collaborators, partly because it's still ongoing, and I, you know I don't want to preempt the outcome, um, and uh, kind of partly because what I really want to do today is to kind of give you some sort of ground level background behind the idea. Um, you know, I think this is quite a new concept, um, so uh, yeah, I, yeah, I sort of want to sort of start at the ground floor really. Um, and just um, invite you to explore this conceptual space with me because you know I really think this is an idea with a, a wide range of, of applications um, and lots of untapped possibilities. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to hear what the ODI community thinks. You know, we, we might be able to to to, to do with this. Um, so uh, just a little a little bonus intro slide there, um, uh, and. Uh, um, there's the uh, details of uh, Etilab and, and, and my email. Um, I've, you know, I'd really like to encourage anyone who's uh, interested uh, to, to get in touch with me after this talk. Um, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll start with a sort of uh, a, a quick summary of um, 
of, of what I mean by this concept of, of, of data federations. Um, so it's, it's an approach to digital collaboration which uh, seeks to exploit the possibilities that are offered by uh, distributed privacy preserving data technologies, such as uh, uh, federated learning or, or distributed data mining. Um, and for, for time reasons, I'm not going to get too much into um, uh, the, the kind of fine technical details of, of, of how these things work. Um, although, you know, if you've got questions, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to answer them. Um, the key thing to get across here now is that there exists a range of, uh, of technologies which offer the ability to, uh, for, for different organisations to work collaboratively uh, with their data without sharing it and without collecting it in a, a central location. Uh, you, you might have heard the phrase um, bringing the code to the data rather than the data to the code. Um, this sort of describes the basic principle behind technologies like federated learning or, or, or distributed data mining. Um, you know, they involve uh, running analysis or training models on separate data sets and then uh, sort of aggregating the, uh, the learnings um, from those discrete processes so that the, the result you end up with reflects the, the totality of all contributed data without require, requiring that data to have to have been shared beyond its original location and without requiring that that data is held in a, a common standard. Um, so, you know, the, 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 point, the point really I, I have to make is that these technologies ex exist and they're, you know, they're, they're within our reach. You know, at Etic Lab, we've, uh, we've built and tested instances of them. Um, we've just uh, uh, finished development actually on a, a sort of general purpose federated learning tool, which can be uh, modified to um, uh, address, you know, sort of all manner of kind of specific problems. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm a little hesitant to, to say this, but, I, you know, I, as far as we know, we're, we're one of the first um, uh, uh, companies in the UK to have, uh, to be offering something like this publicly in terms of a sort of general purpose rather than a tool which is, is, is uh, specifically designed for, for a particular problem or, or, or a particular uh, uh, sector. Um, so the question that I, I want to talk about today is having established that these tools exist, um, how do they change the calculus for how we might uh, organize digital collaborations? Uh, and when I use the term data federation, what I'm really talking about is this kind of altered space of possibility. Uh, so you know, what does the concept of a federated approach mean for how we consider organizational structure, cooperation, strategy, governance, you know, all these things in relation to uh, sort of uh, digital institutions or data access initiatives. Um, so just, uh, you know, the, to kind of let you in on the structure for the rest of the talk, uh, I'm going to kind of tell you a bit of the story of how we came to these ideas. Um, I think it's a good way to kind of illustrate what we mean by them. Uh, then I'm going to try and highlight some of the unique possibilities which I think are afforded by this approach. And then finally, uh, you know, invite you to uh, kind of help me um, think through the, the possibilities of, of, of these ideas and maybe some of its potential applications. So, uh, the story begins about uh, uh, two years ago when uh, Etic Lab was commissioned by um, Innovate UK to, to do a research project on uh, digital technologies in the access to justice sector. Um, the, the access to justice sector is um, sort of the ecosystem of, of charities and, and other organisations who have been uh, given the job of uh, propping up our collapsing legal system. 
Um, so, you know, the backstory to this, you know, about 10 years ago, the government decided to start cutting legal aid and they sort of withdrawing it more or less entirely from certain areas such as uh, family, employment, uh, welfare. Um, so this has create, created a situation where it's extremely difficult for um, uh, poor people who have problems uh, in any of these areas to have uh, you know, proper recourse to the, the court system. Um, so the mission of the access to justice sector is to address this situation, you know, partly through kind of campaigning, advocacy and, and other, other activities, uh, but really primarily by offering uh, free legal advice uh, and support to people who can't afford a solicitor. Um, uh, and our mission with regards to this, this project that we took on was to uh, sort of develop an overall picture of the sector and how it works kind of assess the sort of, the sort of current level of, of digital uh, maturity um, and then to propose uh, strategies which would deploy digital technologies to provide uh, systemic benefits for the sector as a whole. Um, so we did a load of research, uh, you know, kind of reading reports, interviews, field work, stuff like that. And what we found to grossly oversimplify uh, um, was a sort of generally low level of digital maturity amongst organisations and uh, a history of digital initiatives which uh, didn't scale past the pilot phase. So the next question is, why was this the case um, and what can we do about it? Uh, well, in the end, we came up with a suite of, of, of five strategies um, uh, which the sector could pursue to try and address these issues, uh, which are, are documented in, in the report that we wrote, which I, you know, happily share with anyone if, if they get in touch with me after after this talk. Um, and the one we're concerned with today related to the, the problem of, of data sharing and collaboration. So the issue with the access to justice sector, and you know, I think this 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 uh, goes the same for other kind of charitable sectors and, and you know, to, to a certain degree, uh, you know, other aspects of, of the economy in general, it's very complex and fragmented, you know, there's this vast array of small, medium and large organisations, all, all doing vital work, but um, sort of pursuing more or less kind of local problems and uh, programmes rather with a, a limited ability to uh, understand themselves as part of a broader system and to, to act collectively. Um, and if you want to develop strategies which are going to support the work of the sector at a system-wide level, which is our brief, uh, you know, you need to have oversight of fundamental activities, you know, stuff like how many people need help with what sorts of legal issues, uh, national, regional, local levels, um, what kind of support did those people receive, what were their outcomes. So, you know, it, it, broadly, what are we doing and is it working? And, you know, this is the kind of intelligence which can be the basis for strategic decision making. Um, so at the moment, there isn't anyone in the sector who holds or, or, or gathers data on this scale. Um, you know, there's two ways this could change. Um, number one, someone, uh, probably the government at this point, I guess, uh, establishes a kind of large top-down institution or initiative to impose uh, digital uniformity on the sector. Number two, uh, kind of existing stakeholders uh, work together to address this strategic data deficit. Uh, now it's you know it's our feeling that number two is uh, actually in the current climate more feasible and uh, kind of more like morally and politically uh, preferable. Um, uh, so that's the that was the sort of eventuality that we tried to address. Um, 
Uh, I'm sure for many people here today, the, the case for collaboration seems sort of self-evident. Um, nonetheless, I'm going to talk, spend a little bit of time going through it, you know, partly because I think these are points which have general application beyond the access to justice sector. Um, partly because I've learned through personal experience that um, these sort of fundamental questions, you know, can't be taken for granted and actually often bear restating, you know, for both, you know, for my own benefit and, and for, for, for people we've been working with. So why, why collaborate and, and specifically around sort of uh, questions of, of data and digital initiatives? Um, well, first of all, it's a pragmatic uh, kind of technical reasons, you know. So uh, collaboration in a lot of cases is simply the only way that you're going to assemble a data set that's kind of large and diverse enough to um, encompass uh, the activities of something that's complex as a you know an entire sector of social activity. Um, uh, you know, data only achieves true value at scale. Uh, you know, it's only at this point that. So you can start start applying kind of complex technologies like machine learning. You know, you, you know all this. Um, then there's the the kind of social level. Um, so you know this this example I've been discussing is is an area where the scale of the, the challenge demands you know the pooling of resources and expertise, and it requires collaborations between uh, charities with differing expertise, um, between kind of advice giving and advocacy. Um, between sort of charity and, and pro bono cooperation with the court system. Uh, so there's this need for multi-sector collaboration. And, you know, I think this applies to uh, most of the uh, most pressing kind of social challenges we face at the moment, you know, like uh, uh, COVID and uh, climate crisis probably being, you know, two of the most uh, pressing examples of that. Um, and then finally, there's a, this, a, a political rationale for uh, for collaboration. Um, so, you know, in principle, the access to justice sector is, is sitting on the, the single greatest resource documenting people's experiences with the dystopian nightmare, which is the UK legal system circa 2021. Um, you know, they know things the government doesn't know. They know things that the courts don't know. Um, and this is potentially a source of great power to act on on behalf of the people that they that they serve. So, you know, if you're able to empirically demonstrate the effects of government policy or, or to make strategic predictions, you know, to be able to like predict which people are more likely to have their benefits illegally sanctioned by the DWP, for instance, this changes the balance of forces, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the sector and the government, um, and, and puts the sector in a much stronger position to bargain for funding and policy changes, or, or even to kind of act independently to address emerging crises. Um, you know, my, my, my general point here is that um, uh, collaboration affords a means for smaller actors to uh, overcome uh, information asymmetries, um, which allow kind of larger organizations to, to dominate uh, particular sectors or markets. You know, this is of course the, the model through which uh, big tech has, uh, has, has captured a lot of the markets that it works in and is seeking to extend itself into, uh, into, into further markets. Um, you know, if we're interested in, keeping, in creating different kinds of digital economies, um, uh, ones which aren't based around uh, uh, monopoly power um, and that are potentially more responsive to the needs of, of, of individuals and communities, then uh, collaboration is going to be a major part of how we get there. 
Um, okay, so I've just sort of highlighted all these reasons for, for collaboration, you know, which begs the question, you know, if it's so great, then then why aren't we doing more of it? Um, that's because it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, uh, and there are a range of um, kind of practical, cultural and economic factors which make it extremely difficult uh, to, to work together. And, you know, once again, I think the access justice sector is a, is a, is a, is a bellwether here for, for trends that we see throughout our society. Um, so, you know, a big, a big part of the research that we did was was familiarizing ourselves with these uh, with these kind of barriers to uh, to digital collaboration. I'm going to talk you through them. Uh, uh, I'm going to talk you through them now. Um, uh, so yeah, we'll start. We'll start with a biggie. Um, you know, we, we exist in a in a, a political economic system which is kind of hard coded to disincentivize collaboration in lots of ways. Um, uh, AKA uh, neoliberal capitalism. Um, you know, what, what I mean by this quite simply is that, uh, you know, even in sectors where you might not expect this to be the case, like the charitable sector, we have a system where the main driver for, for innovation is, is uh, not values or purpose, but, uh, but competition, you know, for grants, for clients and so on. Um, you know, this is a huge problem and, you know, I can't pretend to have a magic bullet for it, but uh, it's something that has to be addressed. You know, how do we find ways to suspend competitive pressures? long enough for, for people to meaningfully collaborate. Um, beyond that, we're, we're getting into sort of more uh, practical um, uh, barriers. Um, so things like lack of experience of, of successful projects, uh, specifically at scale. So, you know, why invest my kind of limited time and resources in a, a project when I don't have the the, the, the the first hand or even second hand experience that, that this will provide benefit. Um, uh, resource constraints, uh, uh, a big problem with, uh, for, for charities particularly, um, you know, they're working on very tight budgets. Uh, specifically, they often don't have dedicated, you know, data people uh, on staff. So it's, it's, it has to be other staff sort of moonlighting uh, for, for stuff like that. Um, uh, privacy and security of, of personally identifiable information. You know, this is a this is a a big one for us. Obviously, it's something that that our approach uh, deals with quite well. But you know, I kind of want to stress that it's it's one factor to be considered amongst many. Um, you know, it's not like you you take care of privacy and security, and you know, like bang, uh, the this you know vista of possibilities suddenly opens in front of you. Um, but it is. Uh, it is a reason why a lot of projects are just quite simply a non-starter. You know, if you're dealing with personally identifiable information, which pertains to, you know, some of the most kind of difficult and traumatic experiences of a person's life, uh, you know, you've, you have to, you, you have to be very uh, careful about how you steward that data. Um, so, and the prospect of, of sharing it, obviously a big no-no. Um, uh, Issues about sort of uh, the exposure of kind of proprietary data, um, another kind of big thing. Um, uh, and then the difficulty of, of agreeing and implementing, implementing common standards, um, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've found to be a big barrier for lots of organisations. You know, it, it, it takes a lot of work both to decide what those standards should be and then uh, even more prohibitively for 
the kind of organisations I've been talking about to actually impose those standards uh, and to take existing data sets and, 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 and put them in the new standard and stuff like that. It's a lot of work. Um, so, you know, these are extremely daunting, extremely daunting barriers. Uh, um, and for, for many organisations, they make the prospect of any collaboration predicated on data sharing uh, impossible. Um, so our reasoning, uh, you know, our process was that, you know, just because something's impossible doesn't mean you have an excuse not to try. Um, and if we could do something, you know, if we could come up with something that might help to, to any degree, then we'd have done something of real value. Um, so our, our research led us to these, uh, what I've been calling distributed privacy preserving data technologies. You know, I, I mentioned it earlier on. Um, uh, you know, that allow you to do things with data without uh, combining or standardizing those data sets. And there's a sort of suite of them. So you've got things like federated learning, uh, which is specifically a kind of machine learning technique, uh, distributed data mining, which is kind of for finding insights and patterns of data. And then other things like sort of synthetic data, which is like a kind of mechanism for creating dummy data sets or differential privacy, which is sort of in, 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 introducing noise into data sets to sort of obfuscate the, um, uh, the sort of sensitive information. There's a range of technologies is the point and they each have their own properties and they might be more or less useful in different situations. Um, and what they suggested to us is that it would be possible to design uh, collaborative projects which would accommodate the specific barriers um, which would otherwise have produced a particular group of organisations, uh, prevented, sorry, a particular group of organisations from working together. Um, what I mean by that is this, like, like having agreed that they have common values and a shared goal, a group of organisations can use the space of possibilities that's opened up by these technologies to design a project which allows them to achieve something together whilst remaining within their existing codes of practice, regulatory frameworks and time and resource capacities. Um, so just for the last bit of the talk, I'm, I'm going to kind of sketch out what I think are some of the basic characteristics of of this federated collaborative structure. Um, so number one, the, the collaboration is based around the development and ownership of a digital tool. So uh, like a federated learning algorithm or uh, a distributed data mining module, rather than building a, a kind of consolidated data set or a network of data sets. So that's that's your starting presumption. What, what possibilities does that enable? Um, Federation's purpose-driven. So you start by agreeing what it is you want to achieve, and then you develop a, a technical and, and governance structure to deliver those goals sort of within the uh, relevant constraints which are which are at play in your particular situation. Um, uh, the Federation building is a, a, a process, um, and the, the, the goal of that process is to sort of fulfil these uh, four kind of basic prerequisites, you know, these are the four things that the Federation kind of needs to be able to do uh, in, in order to function. Um, uh, and these would be built through a, a series of, of workshops, um, which would be led by, uh, you know, expert facilitators, you know, uh, institution perhaps such as the ODI or even, dare I say it, Ethic Lab. Um, the, you know, the important thing is that what these people bring to the collaboration is, is technical knowledge and perhaps even the capacity to build technical solutions, but also um, like a broader understanding of the kind of social dynamics of collaboration and also the 
relevant ethical dimensions. So they're in a position to make sure that the, the Federation has, has, has fully considered those, those aspects of what it's trying to do. Um, so what are some of the, the kind of possibilities that are um, um, opened up by a, a, a federated approach to collaboration? Um, uh, number one, it, it mitigates uh, concerns around privacy, security and, and uh, proprietary information um, uh, by uh, um, allowing collaboration without uh, the sharing of data. Um, you know, I think this allows uh, collaborations to happen, which would otherwise uh, uh, be um, impossible. Uh, it's also relatively kind of streamlined and uh, uh, kind of, it, given the right circumstances, a less uh, complicated um, uh, prospect than some other uh, kind of comparable approaches like anonymization, for instance. Um, it doesn't demand uh, extensive behavioral change um, and uh, kind of massive labor in terms of uh, data cleaning and standardization and stuff like that. Um, uh, like rather than being responsible for the management of a, a large data set, uh, the federation, what the federation owns is the, the product of the collaboration, so the, the federated learning model or, or, or whatever. You know, I don't want to kind of undersell the amount of complexity that's involved in deciding um, how you manage the ownership of that and, and how you kind of distribute the value amongst members. But uh, it's less, I think, than the complexities which are involved in kind of stewarding uh, uh, a large, uh, complex data set. Um, uh, it doesn't require all partners to be aligned on all issues. So, you know, let's say that one partner considers a particular data point to be sensitive or proprietary, whilst another one doesn't. In a different situation, that would be a kind of fundamental impediment to collaboration. But you know, here it isn't, um, uh, because you would be able to structure uh, the collaboration in such a way that uh, that you know that sensitive data point would never have to be disclosed. Um, uh, you know, this way it's an approach which kind of can accommodate different perspectives and different ways of working. You know, it doesn't impose kind of technical or uh, cultural homogeneity upon the the collaboration. You know, I think in this respect, it's 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 got great potential to support cross sector collaborations. Um, uh, in the first instance, it allows the collaboration to be focused um, around uh, a specific goal rather than a kind of broader and more like complex uh, set of variables. Because uh, you're designing a tool which is a which is specifically to address a limited set of questions uh, rather than uh, compiling a data set which has uh, uh, you know a, a vast range of uses that are in some cases quite difficult to anticipate. Um, uh, in this way I, I think it, it creates a, a space where sort of deeper relationships of trust and understanding can be built over time um, uh, and potentially allow partners to uh, engage in more demanding collaborations down the line. Um, the final point, um, the, the foundation of a sex, successful federation, you know, we believe is um, uh, creating a kind of network of, of partners who are, are committed to uh, achieving shared goals and prepared to, to take on the challenge of sort of figuring out for themselves, how are we going to, how are we, how are we going to achieve this? How can we build the, the collaborative structure that's going to allow us to accomplish our goals? You know? So this isn't, 
this isn't a hack, you know, it's not a, a kind of technical fix for the fact that our society is so divided and atomized, you know, it's not blockchain. Um, it's a, it's a, a set of technologies which kind of open up uh, a conceptual space which expands the possibilities for what we can do with purpose-driven collaboration. Um, so just by way of conclusion, you know, this isn't just kind of theoretical for us, you know, we're, we're kind of doing this, this work right now. And, uh, you know, I'd really like to welcome anyone who's, who's interested in, in joining us either for, for a discussion or, or even to, to explore, you know, projects that we might uh, work on together. Um, otherwise, you know, I know it's conventional for uh, audiences to uh, ask speakers questions at the end, but I, I thought I'd just, uh, I'd just pose a few questions of my own um, because I think they're quite, uh, you know, th these, are, these are some of the questions which are interesting me and playing on my mind at the moment. So, you know, if there's anybody who uh, uh, feels uh, uh, like they would like to speak to any of these points, then I'd be very interested to hear what you have to say. Um, uh, otherwise, that's it. Yeah, I think I've probably gone over time. Um, my email's uh, down in the bottom corner there again. So, uh, you know, again, I just, uh, you know, if you if you, you aren't able to ask a question now uh, or there's not, you know, space for it, I'd really, you know, please get in touch. Um, I'm, you know, really excited to discuss this with anyone who's interested. Um, but, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, customary, I would now ask a question uh, myself, but I see questions are coming up. So I think I'm going to open up the floor straight away and also hopefully give a bit space to, to the questions you ask back to, to the audience. Um, we have a kind of a clarification questions from Neil. And he says, what was that phrase? distributed and um, privacy, or was it something different? It sounded like a useful way of describing it, but I might have uh, misheard. Can yeah. anyone confirm the phrase? So it's uh, distributed uh, privacy preserving data technologies. It, it's a bit of a mouthful. It's something that I've struggled with quite a lot, actually finding a snappy way to summarize what these technologies do, but they're, they're distributed in that um, uh, they don't require the, the centralization of, of data. So, um, you know, so federated learning, you, you send uh, you send a training model to the separate data sets and then um, the, what, what centralizes the learnings. So that's the distributed aspect of it. And then they're privacy preserving because um, uh, the, the, the privacy of those uh, individual data sets is, um, uh, is, is protected by this approach. Then we have two questions um, from Jenny, who says, hypothetically, if you were tasked with bringing an organization's data operation into the 21st century, and you had a long aim of data collaboration, what would be your watchword in designing your own internal system slash standards slash processes? And her second question is, you mentioned low levels of digital maturity in your justice sector, um, sector project. I'd be interested to hear about your experience of assessing that across a heterogeneous set of organizations. Um, okay, quite a lot to uh, um, 
uh, quite a lot to uh, work with there. So the first question, what would, what would be my, my watchword for uh, bringing a, an organization's data op- op- uh, operations into the 21st century? Um, well, to me, uh, I, think, I think purpose is probably the watchword. Um, uh, I think uh, start by having, uh, it's important to start by having a very clear idea of, uh, of what it is you want to achieve, both at sort of kind of the sort of macro level of, you know, what are your values? What, you know, what, what are the values which you would like to see um, uh, manifested in the world? And then at the level of kind of specific goals. And that's, that's the sort of philosophy that we're trying to kind of design into how we're thinking about um, uh, the data federations. Um, it's, a, it's a structure that um, we hope allows organizations to, uh, to unify around these sort of questions of values and goals and then uh, design the, um, uh, the kind of technical and organizational framework that will allow them to uh, to execute it within uh um within the structures of sort of regulatory compliance and and uh, and according to what sort of resources they have available because you know at the moment those those sorts of constraints are very often experienced by by organizations as reasons why they can't even attempt um uh, these collaborative projects um which is i mean there's no is no fault of their own. That's there. There is there. There is there's no uh, system to uh, allow them to um, kind of reckon with those restrictions at the moment. Um, uh, the uh, <laughs> sorry, Leo. What was the other question of? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, I I meant to say. Please <laughs> prompt me again. Um, she says that that you mentioned the low levels of digital maturity in the justice sector and project. And she would be interested to hear about your experience of assessing that across a heterogeneous set of organizations. Okay, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that was, uh, you know, it was a a really uh, uh, fascinating experience, Um, uh, you know, involving sort of uh, um, uh, kind of mapping exercises to, uh, sort of locate the um, the organisations we wanted to talk to. Uh, I mean, heterogeneity is one of the most important characteristics of the, the sector because you're going from like, uh, you know, big institutions like the Law Society who has its stake in the sector to, you know, very small kind of local charities and then kind of field work um, uh, and, um, and, and kind of interviews with the people who are, you know, providing these uh, sort of essential services. Um, uh, and um, I mean, just the thing you—the thing you take away from it—is just what a uh, what a complex task uh, um, uh, of providing a kind of strategic oversight and and direction for this kind of complex system. Um, you know what a complex task that is, because so many of the the kind of structures which would have, which previously had supported that, like you know, legal aid, for instance, have have, have been uh, have been drawn down. Um, uh, and I, I mean, I what I hope uh, our suggestion would be able to do in principle is 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 a way is offer a way of sort of rebuilding some of that from the ground up. Um, 
rather than imposing it from the top down. Um, then we have a very practical question from Tian Feng. You mentioned this model overcomes needs to clean slash aggregate data centrally. How does this help guarantee trustworthy data quality and model output, especially in the context of numerous partners with desperate um, data and technical capabilities? Thank mm. you. Yeah, I mean, it's a really important question. It's, and, and, and it's, a, it's a design problem. So um, uh, you have to look at, uh, you know, you have to look at what, uh, what's available and, and what you're trying to accomplish on a kind of uh, sort of case by case basis. The, the, the principle behind um, what we're suggesting is that you, uh, you know, you, you design the specific question that you're uh, that you're trying to uh, you're trying to address, and then you um, and then you put that specific question to the the various different data sets. Again, it's going to depend which sort of te technology that you're using. But just for the, the purposes of an example, let's say you're doing a kind of distributed data mining approach. The key thing uh, is you, so let's say the the data points that you're looking after, I don't know, like time, for instance, it's held in a slightly different format in. Uh, each of the different data sets. Um, you can design a module that's going to be able to account for those differences and, and sort of um, sort of do the standardizing for you, as it were. But you need to you need to uh, you need to understand uh, what the differences are between the different data sets. You need to have a certain degree of insight uh, into into how the, the data has been held. Um, uh, so that's the job for that's the job for the federation, uh, you know, is to um, to create the the, the platform where uh, you know people are able to kind of come together and 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 have the uh, the sort of informed discussion around you know uh, what data are we collecting, uh, uh, what formats it in, uh, you know, what what are the problems with it, um, uh, what kind of uh, oversight do we need to apply to this process in order to make sure that we're not you know walking into a kind of garbage in uh, garbage out sort of situation you know that's that's the that's the job of the federation and obviously if uh, you know if what you have is just a bunch of data sets which are which are kind of too messy to to do anything with you know there's there's no um uh there's no there's no overcoming that but on the other hand uh, you know, if, if it is possible to um, through through working together to accomplish something, then you've you've created a, a a kind of collaborative forum which allows you to do something which otherwise wouldn't have been possible. So then we have a question from Peter, which it really kind of follows very snugly um, on that. Is he asks how would the how would the algorithm overcome the issues regarding the consistency issues in relation to different data descriptors in different applications? So, okay, so that's um, that we, we, we're talking more uh, federated learning in this instance, I suppose. Um, uh, I mean, what I, I think what I just said to the previous uh, question uh, still applies to a certain degree. Um, uh, you also, you know, have the question of um, uh, of uh, scale. Um, so, you know, getting enough data that the um, 
to to kind of train these sort of very kind of uh, uh, data hungry um, uh, uh, um, algorithms and and, uh, and models. Um, again, that's a um, uh, that's a you know that's a, a a people problem as much as it's a a technical problem. But um, uh, you know, I think a, a collaborative structure which um, lowers the, the barriers to um, to working together uh, has some promise for, for being able to assemble um, uh, uh, collaborations on the, the scale that's required to, to kind of use that technology meaningfully. We have another very good practical question um, from Martin um, who asks, is there any template governance document available to kick off such an initiative? Any practical model we can follow? Um, in terms of uh, uh, template documents, um, uh, we so we certainly have uh, uh, our own uh, 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 documents that we've been working on, um, uh, which um, uh, will be shared in in some form or another. I think towards the uh, you know towards the conclusion of the the ODI project. Um, to a certain degree, uh, you know, up to a certain point, the the, the kind of governance issues are uh, the same as um, as you know with any other kind of data institution or data access initiative. You know, you you have a, a lot of the same problems and considerations. So, you know, existing resources are very useful there. You know, the question is, which uh, what kind of problems and issues are are specific to um, uh, uh, to um, to this particular um, this particular approach and this particular model, um, uh, you know. I mean, I, I can talk about that a bit, I suppose. Um, uh, I mean, the other thing is, um, you know, models of people doing this uh, uh, sort of out there already. Um, there's, there's some in the kind of healthcare sector, uh, particularly in the US. Um, you know, I think there's that the context of the US where it's sort of fragmented privatized healthcare system has, has uh, uh, created a, a situation where, uh, you know, they, they don't have the kind of data infrastructure that the NHS does, for instance. So, so you know, these sort of technologies have, have, um, have proven quite uh, attractive in that, in that context. Um. I guess like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit very of time, so I'm trying to ask the question in the order that they, they kind of build up on each other. I think we have another um, question from Nick to, to think about um, what the key motivators or reward mechanism for encouraging collaboration could be. And he says, great, um, great presentation and topic. Uh, thank you. Um, that's very kind. Um, yeah, reward mechanisms um, uh, is a it's a really important question, isn't it? Um, I think um, personally, my uh, my sort of uh, kind of preferred way of approaching this issue is. Um, I, I mean, I'll talk a bit about my personal experience, I suppose. Um, 
in in you know trying to find sort of incentive structures that uh, that will um, uh, uh, encourage people to kind of participate in collaborative projects. I, I think I used to be much more uh, inclined to try and um, uh, provide people with the sorts of incentives that I, I thought they would already kind of recognize. Um, so, uh, you know, if you, if you entered into this data collaboration, then, you know, you could get like a data pack, which would, um, uh, uh, which would, uh, you can, you know, take to your, uh, uh, your board of trustees or whatever at your, uh, three monthly review and, and show them all the great stuff you've been doing. Um, but, I, from from experience of finding that approach not particularly effective, actually, I, I think I've come to see that um, uh, I think you have to try and really sell people on the kind of transformative benefits of um, uh, of, of collaborating. Like, um, you know, working together in this way may be a way of sort of doing what you're already doing, but a bit more efficiently because you've got, um, you know, because you get data which allows you to sort of uh, uh, kind of uh, evaluate your your practices um, in, in a more kind of granular way. Or uh, it might be a way of actually kind of transforming the um, uh, the way that uh, the, the sector that you're, uh, that you're a part of um, uh, operates, you know, uh, altogether. Um, uh, and I think it's for, for me what I've what I feel like I've I've come to understand is it's finding that sort of transformative story um, of of how uh, people can find new ways to kind of realise their values in the in in the, the sector where they work. It's, it's finding that story for for people, which is going to be different for for for, for each different sector that you're trying to work in. Um, but that that's to me that seems like the the, the real way to motivate people. And then we, we just probably have more questions about the actual technology or technologies or concepts. And it's like one kind of very, I, I guess, like kind of fundamental question is from Neil and say, I'm sure I won't be the only one who is wondering just how this looks like. Is it a big server in the sky that feeds in data or is it a big central runtime um, compute capability that hoovers data sets into memory only or something else? Mm. Well, <laughs> maybe it's a bit late in the presentation to be uh, fessing up to this, but I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a programmer, so there's only going to be a, a and it's, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we can go a certain way before we, we hit my, the limits of my uh, understanding of how this works uh, uh, practically. Um, uh, I mean, you know, my, my understanding of uh, federated learning, for instance, is that you, so what you would do practically is that you would uh, send uh, like a kind of secure link, which uh, contains the training model to each of the participants in your federation, you know, and, and they would, uh, you know, they would click the link and it, it, um, it downloads the, 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 the model onto there. Uh, onto that system and it, it does its work and then returns to the uh, to the central server it, I and mean, it's it's a it's a very kind of uh, um, 
as I understand it, a very com computationally lean, if that makes sense, uh, way of uh, way of working, um, uh, which is you know I think has always been uh, one of the uh, uh, attractions um, uh, that have sort of you know kind of drawn people to develop it in the first place. Um, I mean, I, I'd really I'd encourage definitely encourage people to to kind of contact me with uh, with any kind of technical questions um, uh, that they've got because you know I can put them to our uh, you know, to, to the eggheads on our uh, 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 development team and, you know, they'll be able to answer them in much more satisfactory detail than I can. Maybe that's a good point, again, to put um, up your last slide so that everybody can see your email address. Um, and also the questions you, you kind of put out into the space, which maybe people might want to think about and send some feedback back. Um, and then I have one last very technical questions, which may or may not um, go to your address, um, but go to one of your colleagues. Um, and that's from Guy who says, how is this different to some um, Kegel competitions and more specific solution to distributed analysis such as Numeri? Both incentivized by rewarding participants, the numeri seems to have solved the overfitting issue by requiring a participant stake. Um, okay, uh, yeah, I think this is definitely a question that um, uh, uh, that is stretching the, the the limits of my expertise. Um, the The idea of uh, of participant stakes uh, is uh, is very interesting. Um, uh, you know, I'm certainly uh, I'm certainly open to the, the possibility of of, uh, of models like that uh, as a as a way of um, uh, sort of managing collaborations and, and incentive structures. But um, I'm also kind of hesitant to um, hesitant to embrace kind of embrace ideas which. Uh, like could be seen to kind of replace um, kind of deliberation and relationship building. Uh, you know, our uh, you know you know our um, our our perspective is that um, the the kind of technology should be a, a a platform for the kind of um, you know the sort of old fashioned analog work work of of um, of, of people sort of negotiating and um, uh, and kind of figuring things out together. Um, Although you know, I, obviously, I'm I'm aware of the uh, the problems that you know working at a certain scale or a distance can compose for that sort of approach, which is why I don't you know I, I don't rule it out. So we are very very much um, going hard towards the end of the time but maybe we can um, squeeze one last question in by Natasha sure. who asks the data federation model sounds like a good structure for distributed citizen science projects the data is collected by different groups and there are benefits to collaborating beyond this do you know of examples can you comment uh do I know of examples in citizen science? No, um, uh, um, I'm not aware of uh, 
any examples in that space. Um, uh, the, the, I mean, that sounds like a very kind of diffuse uh, um, uh, kind of collaborative structure. So, um, uh, you know, that would, you know, perhaps pose a bit of a problem for the, um, the, the kind of the way that we've been sort of conceptualizing that sort of work. Um, I mean, one, uh, uh, you know, because how do you, how do you organize a kind of governance structure, um, uh, uh, in that sort of context? I mean, I, I suppose I, I, I don't really know enough about, uh, how sort of citizen science groups function to, to, to really speak to that. Well, one area that I'm extremely interested in exploring is, um, uh, co-ops. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, like energy co-ops, for instance. So, you, you know, you have like a sort of relatively localized uh, uh, co-op, uh, which um, uh, has its own kind of governance structure and own sort of data sharing practices, uh, but also obviously kind of has kind of common cause and, and values with all other, um, uh, all other kind of green energy co-ops, you know, insofar as they all, they all care about, uh, you know, creating a kind of greener energy economy. Um, so, you know, I think uh, the way our model would work there is it, you know, it could potentially find a, a provide a platform for um, uh, co-ops to, to start kind of exercising their, their values at scale, but without requiring them to, uh, to all start um, kind of holding their, their data uh, in, in exactly the same way, which, you know, I think given what I understand about co-ops would probably be quite a difficult undertaking. Thank you so much, Richard, for your brilliant presentation. And thank you, everybody, for coming and all the good questions. If you have more questions or want to comment and give input on Richard's questions, email him at rich at um, ethiclab.co.uk. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.